Welcome to What in the World Language Podcast. We're here at IFLT 19 in sunny St. Petersburg, Florida with Justin Slocum Bailey. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for stopping by mm-hmm. to speak with us uh, briefly about your experiences here at IFLT 19. Um, so I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. I uh, talk about your experience being a teacher, your experience presenting here. Yeah, let's how do long it. You've been presenting. So uh, love it. Without any further ado, we'll get started. Mm-hmm. So, um, how long have you been presenting here at uh, IFLT? So at IFLT specifically, my first IFLT was in 2016, and it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That makes this probably, the, I guess, the fourth year since. I had to miss one year in between, though, uh, but I try to be here whenever I can. I think it's one of the uh, one of the conferences that most grows from year to year, not just in terms of numbers, but if taking seriously really, really useful feedback is always trying to improve. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, why it's come to be known as such a practical conference to come to. So, uh, Justin, you are a Latin teacher. Um, so speak a little bit about, um, what you do at F- IFLT 19. Sure. What I thought present uh, on, uh-huh. um, sure. Well, I, what, just for a moment, you said, Justin, you're a Latin teacher. So speak a little bit. I thought you were going to tell me to say something in Latin, which I'm happy to do at any point please, if you want. Please but, tell us. Yes, I uh, would love to. Decum. We'll have, uh, that'll, be, that'll be maybe the appendix to the show. Okay. So here at IFLT, I've had a, a new role for me, and actually one that hasn't existed long for the conference at all. There's a, uh, you know, Jose, I don't know uh, how many of the listeners know, there's a cohort system, a cohort yes, um, yes. Uh, setup where... People self-identify, participants, when they register, self-identify as new to a lot of the techniques that we're doing here, a bit more experienced, and it's broken down really finely so that we can really, really, really target the needs of each of each stratum, if you want to call it that. And so I was asked by, by Terry Weekert and Michelle Kint, who are sort of the curricular organizers, wonderful women, wonderful friends uh, of each other and of us, uh, was asked to basically lead the most beginner track. So to take on this role of taking taking people who say, look, I'm interested, but I really don't know where to start, giving them a feel for what that looks like. And it's, it wasn't just me. It was part of a team. I was the the face of it, I suppose, because whenever we met as a, as a whole group, which is about 95 people, met as a whole group, it was me demonstrating or, or sharing ideas, but then we split up frequently into six or seven smaller groups with really, really experienced uh, coaches for each group. At previous uh, IFLTs, what what was your role? Yeah, so I've always played the role of a, a session presenter. So throughout the week, in addition to the the cohort specific times when everyone goes off and and works with their specific cohort, there are also all kinds of sessions and presentations and workshops, uh, topical presentations and workshops. So I've I've always done that. Uh, I've done a lot of coaching here. Uh, there's a really well developed coaching system where participants can go and try out a really specific skill just really simple no pressure couple minutes i just learned this skill or saw this skill i want to try it out a bit so i've worked a, uh, in that coaching role uh, and actually this year too i also had um, uh, a couple coaching moments and then and then presented two sessions uh, as well one alone and one with uh, my friend megan hayes who i'm pretty sure you know mm-hmm. uh, elementary spanish teacher in cincinnati mm-hmm. so you uh, as I mentioned earlier, you teach Latin, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I've 
and I teach Spanish. Mm -hmm. So I've heard uh, teachers say uh, incorrectly that um, uh, you can't teach Latin mm -hmm. uh, with comprehensible input strategies. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to those teachers that are those people that, that say that sure it depends a little bit on the on the tone of the question what's behind the question right if it's someone who's i i hear that from latin teachers saying it can't be done and then my response is going to be well here let me show you this this and this if it's uh from someone who it's it's not a belligerent question they're just mystified by it then i'm just excited to tell them well actually there are lots and lots of us doing this um, for certainly hundreds and hundreds of teachers in the United States and, uh, and more abroad who were teaching normal students, same students that are in any other class at the school, they're learning Latin because we're teaching in ways that actually involve them hearing and using the language in a way they can understand in a way that's meaningful to them that relates to their lives that relates to their their personalities and the farther you get uh, in the instruction relates to their their hopes their dreams their fears all the things that language is used for expressing so uh depending a little bit on the source of the question right, right. like i can school somebody on that if it's someone says hey latin hasn't has never been taught this way it can't be done i can give the i can give the history of it i can tell the techniques but usually when i get that question it's kind of a fun like they just don't realize and they, they think it's cool yeah yeah, wow, yeah including several really? people at this conference several people at this conference who have said that yeah have you seen over the years at iflt an increase in latin teachers uh moving toward absolutely um, absolutely i've seen it certainly in the wider world because i work um with a lot of schools a lot of districts and, and other conferences and they're just a boom in the number of Latin teachers and Latin programs using a lot of the the approaches that we that we share here at IFLT, but also at this at the specific conference IFLT. Um, I think there are about ten of us here this year, maybe a couple more. Some years we I know one year we had probably 13, 14, 15, some years is fewer, but I think the I don't know if it's statistically if I could say, well, the first year that a Latin teacher came to IFLT was right, such and right. such year. But I certainly know when I first started hearing of IFLT and was talking with Latin circles, um, any given year, there would be like either zero or one Latin teacher, maybe two. Right. And now, now consistently, I would expect it to be 10 plus and, 10 plus. and maybe more down yeah. the road. So enough that you know, we had, we Latin teachers had uh, a couple lunches where we sat down together and we brought back what everyone was getting from their cohort at different sessions, see how we can apply this stuff. Making those connections. Exactly. Right. That's exactly. important. Um, so what are some of the, uh, your favorite strategies that you use, or perhaps here at IFLT19 mm -hmm. in your uh, lab? Yeah. Um, what, are, what are some of the things that if there's a Latin teacher or any other teacher, uh, yeah. but a Latin teacher specifically listen to this uh, podcast, what, what would you say works best or in your experience yeah. some of the things they can kind of take back to their classroom? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you'll allow me one and a half. Uh, I'll and, allow and you One and two. a half things. Oh, two. Uh, I don't know if I can fill that second one, but I'll okay, try. Okay, you try. Uh, the first is I just ask students stuff about them. Uh, I've, I've, I've realized that whether you have a really specific curriculum you're supposed to follow, you're supposed to teach these words they're going to take some common assessment on it all on the same day, and here's the grammar they're supposed to know, or whether you have a lot more freedom, there's always at least one question. Because if, we, if we assume, and I think we do, that the reason why a certain construction of language exists is because it 
turned out to be necessary for communicating something, then that means that there's always a question we can ask somebody where talking about the answer to that question is going to use that those forms or that element of the language. And so uh, really the way I structure my lessons, whatever else I'm going to be doing, whether I'm using a story, uh, a film clip, a picture, you name it, I usually build my lesson around a personal question of the stu- from the students. So for example, in the beginner cohort, uh, one of the sessions, it was just, what's something you like to do? So we talked about different things that people like to do. It's a good starter question. Exactly, yeah. Because you want it to be a question, ideally, that everyone has an answer to, right? Basically, everyone has an answer, has at least something they like to do. Right. And uh, for, there's different ways of kind of initially collecting uh, that info from students. You can use a little uh, survey or something. I just collect it on note cards. Um, sometimes those those personal size whiteboards, which right, are right. which are my favorite. Uh, so that would be like, of, like card talk, right? Like car, this is basically card talk, personalized question and answer. Um, if if anyone, by the way, is looking into starting a one to one program at their school, I strongly recommend a one to one student to personal size whiteboard program. That's the best <laughs> best piece <laughs> of educational technology right, in my right. classroom. But you just collect a couple answers. Students don't need to know how to say that they like to. Um, rock climb or who, whatever it might be in the language, you just make that conversion and you start asking some simple questions. Oh, you like to, do you do it every day? Anybody else here like to rock climb? Uh, anybody might like to, but they're afraid to. And you just start, you know, there's these techniques, it develops naturally. So that's, that's my, of all the many ways of ensuring that students hear a lot of comprehensible input, start interacting with the language and with each other. Just those questions like that and where they lead is my favorite. Uh, so that's that's one. My point five, that, your you're, point five that you're permitting me to take to two is something that, that I mentioned, especially for the sake of Latin teachers, because you can do, and I do, and I did this week, the kinds of things I just described, those personal questions in Latin, just as you can with any other language. But a lot of Latin, for, for a lot of Latin teachers, even if there isn't a huge theoretical obstacle or sort of mindset obstacle, it just, none of us were trained to produce Latin, especially not to produce spoken Latin. So there are ways that many of us have built up our ability to do that uh, by reading a lot, by creating audio for ourselves to listen to, by by creating conversation partnerships and things like that, but that takes a lot of time. And so I've found that a really good starting point for Latin teachers, and it can be also for teachers of other languages who don't have full confidence in their ability. That was actually kind of a theme in a lot of conversations this week, I noticed, is people who realized if you're going to teach the way we're talking about, it involves kind of being open to different topics coming up that you might not be prepped to talk about, you might not exactly. feel that confidence. And so I found that a great, not workaround, but just a great strategy is, hey, just start with the text, whether it's uh, a story that you've written, whether it's a published story, whether it's um, even, even like a picture that you've already scripted out, some questions that you can ask about it. Just start with something like that, something that's written down, and start asking some questions along those lines. They can start so scaffold. off just totally scaffolded. In this case, it's scaffolding for teachers too, right? You've got your little, you've got your text, you've got your script. Your script is a couple comprehension questions, or I usually call them verification questions um, about whatever it is drawn from the text. You script a couple questions like, hey, so this person in the story is afraid of the dark. Anybody here afraid of the dark? And that way you don't have to come up from scratch with all the language that you're going to be using. Right. The language is in the text, and that uh, that um, uh, feeds two birds with one scone. 
has been encouraged. And we don't want to kill the birds. We feed two birds with one stone. Exactly. Um, uh, one, it helps you with your planning because you're drawing those those words, the constructions right from whatever text is you're going to deal with or whatever content. And that allows you also to have a little more confidence in your delivery. And two, it guarantees, it does the work for you that what you're talking about with your students is going to be in that text that they meet because that's where you got it from in the first place. Exactly. So it also has this understanding by design or, or backwards design right. type so uh, that, program. That leads me like... So at this conference and on social media, um, one thing that I've noticed is teachers uh, tend to have a fear. Mm. They see they see you guys, um, Jason, Justin, mm-hmm. and you because uh, you were uh, you well, were a yes, lab and me, as but well more importantly, Grant and mm-hmm. the guys, you sure. guys that have been mm-hmm. doing this, and 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 ladies that have been doing this for a while, they just they come in and they're intimidating. They're thinking. Mm-hmm. There is no way mm-hmm. that I can go back to my classroom and do this, mm-hmm. right? They have that fear. But um, I think, and we mentioned this, and uh, I think it was mentioned in the panel here at IFLT19 about not having that fear. Mm-hmm. And this is a process. You guys have developed this mm-hmm. skill over many years. Yeah. So yeah. as you were saying, it's okay to have a scaffold. Oh, you, you, you guys. Some of my mentor teachers, a woman named Nancy Llewellyn, Bob Patrick, whom a lot of people in this community know, who has a, who's a part of a six-member Latin teaching team, 700 Latin students in a public high school. Um, all of them uh, scripted and sometimes still script their lessons in Latin um, and I know people for the modern languages too. Who and it's okay. It. And it's okay. Uh, it's 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 separate from your value as a teacher or from your uh, expertise. But yeah, so many of us are already dealing with this, with the classic imposter syndrome. Oh. And then when it when it meets a practical obstacle, like I can't say the thing that my right. students want to talk about, um, that's that can that's a lot to overcome. Well, it's it's a it's a legitimate fear, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, teachers just need to understand that this is a skill that you've guys you guys have mm-hmm. developed over mm-hmm. many years, and you can't just be expected to walk back in your classroom mm-hmm. and say, "Whoa, mm-hmm. here I am offering you magic. Right. I'm never going to fall right. on my face." And that's one of the reasons why I like not just the training program at IFLT, although it does a really uh, a particularly good job, but a lot of good language uh, continuing ed programs that a lot of us work with. And languages, they, they give a bit of the, what does the final product look like? You know, you watch a Jason, you watch an Annabelle, you watch uh, Linda Lee. This is what this looks like when someone has learned and been coached on, which is big. Like, none of us just started doing this and we're great at it. We had Jason Fritz has spent so much time with Karen Rohn in the back of the room coaching him literally while he was teaching. That's part of how the it's coaching important. model here developed. Um, and this, if I always say, and I had occasion to say this multiple times to the beginners, it looks like when you're seeing that kind of finished product, it looks like what's making it work is the personality of that teacher, the gifts of that teacher. And if I, I, what I always bring it back to is what's actually, if it's working, what's actually making it work is a combination of two things. One, the person just has a basic human awareness and connection with their students. And two, practicable, concrete, learnable skills. And they built those up over time, all the people that you said. And like you said, this is 
hour, not hours, years and years, years of trial and error in our classrooms and uh, taking the risk of being coached by some of the, by people who are really, really skilled, not just teachers, but coaches, right. people like Lori Clark, people like Karen Rowan, people like Michelle Kent, who's here, people like Terry Weekert, who's here, people like Gary DiBianca, these really, really, really skilled, experienced coaches. We've, uh, I, I hesitate to use the word, but we've sort of like submitted ourselves to that out of well, love for the craft. Take a risk. Yeah, yeah that's take, take, take a risk. And Step so, outside of your comfort yeah, zone. Yeah. And yeah. without those things, the personality actually just would get in the way. Or I uh, see that. Yeah, it would get in the way. Or I was talking about this with Carol Gobb, who's the uh, the owner of uh, Fluency Matters and who that puts on this conference. Um, either the personality gets in the way, or it masks, it hides what's actually going to be going to turn out to be ineffective teaching. So in a in a one off might look that's, oh man that's very this person, especially with those of us who are kind of entertainer types can look like oh they, they they're the complete complete package they got it all but if those skills aren't in place or if there isn't that human connection with the students and it's just the students are here and the entertainment's happening at this other level that's then, something then, else yeah it's at not best, language instruction yeah, at, at that best point. it's getting in the way and at worst it's tricking the teacher, the students, and observers into thinking that great learning is happening and it's when not, actually entertainment be, is happening. Right, entertainment yeah. is that. That is a very that's poignant. I I love that because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sometimes, um, you know, you spoke about the imposter syndrome, but what you just said speaks to me personally. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I feel like my personality gets in the way mm -hmm, of good mm -hmm, instruction, mm -hmm. and I'm just grateful that I'm able to uh, self-reflect and sure. acknowledge that. Sometimes I feel like it's just smoke and mirrors yeah. Yeah. within myself and my teaching. Yeah. You know? So that's thank you. Yeah, guys. I identify with that too. And yeah. but as you you know, you're now in, you're involved in mentoring other teachers, and you're you're involved online and in helping young teachers not feel so overwhelmed. And I think you, I, lots of other people doing this work. I think I think like one of the core messages more and more needs to be. It just comes down to basic human connection and these skills that we can teach you. You can practice. You can fill in yourself and check out how many times did you clarify meaning or you can ask a colleague to watch you and say hey what do you think of my comprehension checks so these really really specific things i think that that has to be our message always in tandem with here's what a finished product can look like but here's what's here's, here's what's like, behind it here's, here's how the, the here's how the vegan sausage is made the vegan sausage uh -huh. nobody wants to see the vegan sausage made <laughs> no <laughs> i think that's literally true yeah <laughs> this is supposed to be healthy but have you seen yeah, really yeah. how it's made uh-huh um so tell us briefly if you don't mind uh how did you end up what's your language story mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so so you're a presenter mm -hmm. uh, um a language teacher you speak at conferences mm -hmm. you instruct mm -hmm. other districts uh What's your language story? Yeah. Where did, where did yeah. it start? Well, it's a long story. So a, a long in terms of the, the span of right. my life, but I'll make sure I'll not tell it as a long story. I grew up in Vienna, Austria, uh, expat American parents, but full assimilation into Austrian schools, clubs, friends, stuff like that. So I grew up um, speaking Austrian in a Viennese dialect. And I grew up in a neighborhood where we'd be playing pickup soccer in the park or something. And there were so many immigrants or refugees that we might no two of us on the soccer field might have the same language at home, but we're kids and kids make it work. Kids don't know that, that, you know, my ancestors invaded your ancestors or whatever right. it may be. And so we made it work. We had almost this sort of playground pigeon 
uh, P-I-D-G-I-N as in the, the language form. Right. And, but that, I think, the combination of being in a, in a bilingual family and that kind of setting really stoked my interest, both in the nature of language and, and how is it, how do we have all these different ways of talking about the same things? Um, and then also in the role that languages play in people's identities. And so that's, that was from a, from a young age. Uh, I'll fast forward a little bit. Uh, that's, I moved. that's, that's intense at a young age to yeah, be aware of Yeah. That. I don't, that's I heavy. don't remember a You're time fortunate. when I was, yeah, yeah. I feel that way. I feel lucky. I don't remember a time when I wasn't consciously thinking about those kinds of things. Um, and then sort of more formally and technically like comparing for fun, how did my friend say this and how did I say it? So fast forward, that was in, uh, in Austria, fast forward a bit in high school, I moved first to Vancouver, BC, and then to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where the university of Michigan is I stayed there and went to U of M Wolverine for undergrad, uh, majored in linguistics, also spent a lot of time in the English and German departments. And so uh, in linguistics, uh, as a linguistics major, got really interested in second language acquisition and in, and in the cognitive aspects of language use and learning. Um, and so it was great to combine what was already an interest, a general interest and a practice with some academic information. Uh, ended up uh, becoming a teacher in Los Angeles where I had moved, um, I actually moved there uh, and I was just for a relationship I was in at the time and I was doing, doing LA type stuff, like going to acting school and tutoring, uh, you know, right. to make, to right. make money. Um, but I ended up, I, education and teaching had always been on the back of my mind because, and I'd always teetered back and forth because I didn't really like my school experience growing up. And so I thought teaching seems kind of fun, but I want to be in a building where everyone hates that they have to be there. That just can't, that's just got to kill the vibe. Then I had my own teachers, a couple individual teachers. We all had them, right? A couple individual teachers who, who were like the hour in my school day. Um, so I thought, Hey, maybe I can be that teacher for some people. So I did end up getting into, um, into education taught, taught high school, Latin, English, and guitar. Cause I'd grown up playing classical guitar in, in Vienna. Fascinating. Yeah. A lot of fun with that. And things kind of went from there. I ended up Nowadays, I'm not at a specific school. I'm in full-time teacher support of various kinds. Uh, and that came about, I, I wasn't trying to get out of teaching. I actually had to leave kind of a dream job that I miss. Um, but family reasons, there's a move and things like that. Um, so I nowadays go into other schools. People, people bring me in to, to do some continuing ed. People bring me in to solve their curricular problems. Uh, every once in a while, I get to work with textbook companies or or travel companies, even all kinds of stuff. And I find that really rewarding because there's partly there's just so much variety, but also I get to watch so many people in their element. I get to watch so many people teach when I go to schools. Uh, it's invigorating. And I also get to improve my craft as a as language a nerd. That it, sounds yeah. amazing. Oh yeah, totally. I would, I would love to totally. do totally. So, so where did the Latin part come in? Yeah. So you said you majored in linguistics, Majored in linguistics, oh. English and German. And I, it's, it's all, it's almost silly about, a couple months after college, I had, uh, I had just moved to LA. I said, you know, it, I like languages. I grew up in Europe and enjoyed that. Uh, it'd be cool to know Latin. So I go to Barnes and Noble to see like, what's the Latin stuff. There's this, there's one Latin textbook there. It's called Wheelock's Latin textbook. Those of the listeners who maybe know about Latin, it's this ultimate kind of grammar translation. They teach you a list of words, they teach you a grammar rule. Then you practice translating some sentences. Um, so I bought that and it kind of, it worked for me, not in the sense that it helped me really acquire Latin, but, it, but I, I could like 
be successful with each chapter and all the exercises. Right. Um, got to the end of the book, and it's got 40 chapters, one chapter a day for 40 days, all the exercises, everything. Then I picked up a, a speech, a Latin speech by Cicero, who was this you know, Roman statesman, and it took me like an hour using English and dictionaries and stuff to translate like the first like three sentences. I mean, literally. And, and most Latin teachers have some version of this story. And I thought, that's not, like, this is not what I, no one's making me do this. I'm trying to learn this stuff for fun. I, I'm clearly doing it wrong. So I actually, this is condensing the, this element of the story a bit, but I just looked up on, online, like, how do you teach Latin? How do you learn Latin? <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. And I got, that's how I got connected in the very early days that Bob Patrick, whom I mentioned before, and John Piazza, a uh, Latin teacher in the Bay Area, who now, who are still doing a lot of teacher training and also doing a lot of really important work in educational equity, especially in the, in classics teaching, they had just started a listserv you know, back in the day when email yeah, listservs were where you got your, got your online PD. So I got to be one of the first members of, they had this Latin best practices listserv. So I found out about some materials and, and conferences and stuff you could go to, to start learning a bit about more what we're doing here, uh, with Latin and, um, Got my hands on Ben Slavic's books, all that kind of stuff, and just kind of just kind of made it work. And here you are. And here I am. And yeah, twelve years later, mm-hmm. 13. 13. 13 years later. Yeah. Wow, fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a phenomenal story. Yeah. That's a yeah, and it's bizarre looking back because it's so weird. What? Are, why would some dude end up teaching Latin and speaking it and being able to use it? You know, I'm lucky. I can use Latin as a demo language. You know, a lot of us uh, when we train people, we want to give them an experience of uh, as a rank beginner in some new language and so that allows me to use that um has worked out really really well fantastic Mm -hmm. uh so i just have one more question Mm -hmm. um do you have uh, as we wrap up last day at the conference here at ifl 2019 any recommendations for new teachers uh moving their classrooms toward proficiency based Mm -hmm. instruction ci Mm -hmm. strategies Mm -hmm. do you have any any tips yeah yeah. Suggestions. Yeah, I'll narrow it down two. to one. I'll narrow it down to one without claiming that it's like the best one. Okay. Um, and and with the hope that people have other so- God help us if I'm people's only source of this advice, right? So uh, with the with the assumption that people are getting good advice from other places too, one that I I'll focus on because it's 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 my thing. It just make it about your students. So and that can be as simple as you got a textbook sentence that's telling you about how such and such kid. In, you know, in the target language, such and such kid has third period math or something like that. Who cares about the textbook kid? What's so hard about just inserting one of your kids, your students' names and finding out what period they have math? So even if you're not really changing all your methods, even if you're still basically using the exact format of your textbook and you don't really have to plan that much more. Just find out from your students. Just ask some questions. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll boil that piece of advice even more practical than than personalize or make it by your students. Just ask your students questions. Ask your students Important. questions that every student would have an answer to. If you ask, what do you have third period? Every student has something third period. So you can talk about that. If you ask, what's something you're afraid of? Everyone has something they're afraid of. So you can talk about that. So ask your students questions about their lives obviously not super intrusive like what are what are your worst habits or what's your what's your darkest nightmare or something like that but you get the idea those conversations yeah. come later yeah exactly mm-hmm. well um on that note uh that's all i have for today i want to uh 
Thank you for stopping mm-hmm. by, Jason, speaking with us as we real honor. Yeah, I was yeah. So excited honor that you snagged me and and all the best with this podcast because this is a newish venture for you, this right? Is this a, I do it with my students, my heritage. Right. Student. I, okay. I spoke here about that at okay. the conference, um, uh, and I and I thought to myself, um, why not? Why not do it myself? Yeah. Um, and get the message out of uh, uh, proficiency. Yeah. Teaching proficiency. Uh-huh. Um, using CI strategies and talking to some of the uh, the leaders in, mm-hmm. in this movement mm-hmm. um, here at IFLT. So, uh, yeah. thank well, you I love for what you're doing. You got a very professional setup here, and I hope all the listeners will keep keep tuning in because I know you're you're a good conversationalist and you get at the heart of issues. And there's a lot of good people out there who have uh, ideas to share. So, thanks for all your work today. Well, thank you. And you're listening to What in the World Language Podcast.